are new or visiting at the moment, you might not have seen me, and that's because over the last three weeks, uh, my husband Carlton and I, we've been taking some holiday. And it has been very nice, very relaxing, very good time to just refresh and restore, get ready for this new year that God has uh, for us, um, and we're really excited. And one of the things that we did on our holidays, we spent a little bit of time up the coast, and neither of us have ever climbed Mount Coolum before. And I heard some ooze. It's a bit controversial. It's not a difficult mountain to climb. It's not really a mountain. It's a little bit of a hike. I think it's about 800 metres long. It feels like it's 800 times 800 metres long because of the stairs that you have to go up. But we decided, while we were up the coast, to one day climb Mount Coulomb. Um, and I've got some photos on the screen of, this is the view that you get from the top. It is actually spectacular. Uh, you think for something that's not too high, you can see all like one, 360 degree views of um, the Sunshine Coast up to Noosa. You see Double Island and Stratty. It's, it's beautiful. And there's something about standing on top of the mountain after you've like struggled and climbed and taken 10 plus breaks on the way up and standing there and just looking out and seeing God's creation. Getting to the top of the mountain is almost like a little bit of a reward for the hard work and the sacrifice and the effort that you've put in to get there. But what I didn't tell you is before before we climbed the mountain, as we pulled up into the car park, Carlton and I sat in the car, and I went, oh, I don't want to do it. <laughs> we sat there for maybe 15, 20 minutes, and it took 15 to 20 minutes for Carlton to convince me, like, come on, you can do it. And in my defense, it was lunchtime. I hadn't eaten lunch yet. I get, I get hungry. Um, and when, when I get hungry, yeah, you want to have a Snickers, right? <laughs> you know that ad. So it took convincing on Carlton's part to get me, and a bit of bribery, to get me to go on this hike. But if I had let myself be um, lazy or lis listen to my doubt in my mind, if I hadn't pushed myself, I would have missed out on that view. I would have missed out on experiencing God's creation in this way. Now, we're currently going through a series in the book of Ruth um, called Uncover Uncovering the Redeeming Love of God. And we've been going through this series over the past three weeks, so this is the fourth week. Um, and because of that, I do want to encourage you that if you have missed one, um, to go back, hop online, on Spotify, whatever it is, to watch those back because they create uh, good context for the rest of this series. But the book of Ruth, it looks at three main characters and the lives that they lived, and it highlights how God was working through their circumstances, even when he seemed far from them. So chapter four of Ruth, which is what we're going to be diving into today, highlights two different characters with two very different hearts one of whom is unwilling, he doesn't want to sacrifice, and because of that, misses what God is doing, and another who is willing, he is ready, and he gets the privilege of being a part of God's work. 
So I want to encourage you now to open up your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4, if you have them with you. Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to be reading today from the whole chapter. So let's get ready. Ruth chapter 4. It says, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down just there as the guardian redeemer. Sorry, sat down there just as guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. And then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is, is selling the piece of land that belonged to their relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are my witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathrath and be famous in Bethlehem. Though the offspring of the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar before bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nation, Nation the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Amen. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, as we come before you and stand before your word this morning, I pray that you will give us uh, clarity, that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. God, would you enable us and soften our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning. In your name, amen. Amen. Awesome. So, Naomi and Ruth, they were seemingly in hopeless circumstances when they found out that Boaz was a relative to them and someone who potentially was able to help them redeem their circumstances. Naomi had lost her husband and two sons, leaving Ruth a widow. But we saw last week that Boaz has actually found someone who was a closer relative to Naomi than he was, which meant that Boaz was actually, in fact, not the kinsman redeemer in this circumstance. Now, a kinsman redeemer, for those of you who need, um, who don't know, is basically a next of kin uh, who, according to Hebrew custom, was entrusted certain family rights and duties, including the redemption of the person or property of a relative in helpless circumstances. And these things are all outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 25, if that's something that interests you. So in this chapter, we see Boaz meet with and confront with this man who is kinsman redeemer. He's the closer relative and he was meeting with him to see if he would be willing to fulfill his responsibilities. In this case, the responsibilities of this man would be to redeem the land that belonged to the relative Elimelech and to marry Ruth and bear her a son who shall carry on the name of Elimelech. Now, the man was willing to fulfill the duties when Boaz told him about the land but then unwilling once he found out that he would also have to marry Ruth. His reason for this was because he believed that initially that this property would be his, uh, that the only way that he could lose it would be if a son was born to Naomi, which was likely, unlikely, sorry, due to her age. And this would ultimately benefit him and his own estate in the long term. He'd have more land, more property, However, when he realised that his responsibility was to marry Ruth and give her a son, this would mean that the property would then ultimately revert to that son, causing him to lose his money and, his, and the land. Ultimately, this would mean that his own family name would actually die with him and it would greatly impair his own, his own inheritance and estate. This is a great sacrifice and this is a sacrifice that he was unwilling to make. And this decision actually reveals something to us about his heart and his heart for other people. Now, it's easy to look at the decision of this man who was entrusted responsibilities to redeem his family but unwilling to do so and pass our own judgment on the situation. Maybe our judgment is that he was acting selfishly Maybe we think, oh, this man, he's got a shallow heart. He's only thinking about money. Maybe that little verse is tweaking in your mind. It's easier for the camel to pass through the eye of the needle for then the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Or maybe your judgment is that he was within his right to make this decision based on what was best for him at the time. A bit of like a you do you, 
Look after yourself, take care of yourself, because no one else will. But no matter your judgment on the situation, the bottom line is that this man, he didn't have a heart for others. This man was only concerned for himself, and ultimately, though he wouldn't have known it at the time, he missed out on a very, very special opportunity to be a part of God's redemptive plan. But if we're honest, if we're going to be honest with ourselves today, if we put ourselves in his shoes, would you have done it? Would you have sacrificed things like finances, time, family name, your life for the sake of someone else? The Bible says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's own life for one's friends. But when push comes to shove, would we do it? And I bet for a lot of us here today, and particularly those of us who are comfortable in our situation and our circumstances, the answer would be no. But it's not that we don't love others, right? It's just that we love ourselves a little bit more. And here lies the issue. The issue that all of sin boils down to is we want to put ourselves above everything and everyone else. We want to put ourselves on the throne. We want to make ourselves king. This is the temptation that Satan used at the garden with Adam and Eve. He said to them, you will become like God, knowing good and evil. You will become like God. God. That is what our hearts crave. For us to be king, for us to have control, for us to have comfort, for us, for us, for us. It's all about us. And it is the oldest trick that Satan has in the book, but it's one of his best because he knows that our hearts are drawn to self-exalting. This is the issue with the heart of the man who was given responsibility to redeem Naomi, given opportunity to be a part of God's redemptive plan, but was unwilling because of the sacrifice that it would have cost him. And this is the issue with our hearts today. So, when this man refuses, Boaz steps in he agrees to fulfill the responsibilities of kinsman redeemer. Boaz, under no obligation to fulfill this role, he didn't have any responsibility to this family because he was not the closest, um, closest kinsman. But he steps up and he takes on this role anyway, regardless of the sacrifice that it meant to him. His act was the highest degree of commitment, of love, of personal sacrifice. And this act reveals a lot about Boaz's character and his heart for other people. And not only that, but Boaz is actually revealing to us the heart and the character of God. And if this is the heart and character of God, then God must be a God of redemption with a desire and the power to redeem all people into fellowship with himself. The character of Boaz and the character of God can be translated as abounding in love, abounding in faithfulness, abounding in steadfast love, abounding in faithful love. These are just some of the words that are used to describe God throughout the Old Testament. 
And this is the kind of love that Boaz has for Ruth. And this is the love that our almighty God has for you and for me. Boaz had the opposite heart of the other man. Boaz was willing. He was available. He was ready to go above and beyond for the sake of the redemption of someone else, even at the expense of himself. So we see in the story, the Lord gives Boaz and Ruth a son. What a remarkable gift of life a son is. And I'm sure Dave and Sarah are at home or at the hospital wherever feeling just like this as well too. What a remarkable gift of life a son is. And this is the gift of life that, that God has brought to Boaz and Ruth now. But this gift of life of this child actually points us to something greater because it points us to the gift of life. Through this genealogy that we see in verses 18 to 22, a list of names often overlooked, skipped when we read our Bible, this genealogy reveals to us that this gift of life that God gave to Ruth and Boaz brought ultimate, everlasting life to all because it is through this lineage of this child, this child who was grandfather to Israel's greatest king, that Jesus the Messiah, our ultimate redeemer, was born. It is through this lineage and through the willingness of an ordinary man that God plays out his redemptive plan for all of creation. What a missed opportunity for that man who was unwilling. Jesus brings everlasting life to all. Just as Boaz brought Ruth into fellowship with God, which we saw through chapter 2, Jesus brings us into fellowship with God through the forgiveness of our sin. Our sin makes us outcasts because God cannot tolerate sin. But through Jesus coming to earth and living the perfect life that we should have lived, dying the death that we deserve and for the penalty of our sin and then raising, rising again three days later, because of this, if we believe in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection now covers our sin so that God no longer sees us, but sees Jesus and his life. It is because of this that we can have relationship with God. We can be given life. We can be redeemed. God is the giver of life. If Boaz, a mere man, can redeem an outcast like Ruth and bring her into fellowship with God, how much more can God, the creator of all things, redeem us through Jesus, who is ultimate redeemer? And this love and redemption has the power to transform. Because what we see here in chapter four is actually a total reversal of what we saw in chapter one. Chapter one brought tragedy and death Naomi and Ruth lost their husbands. Naomi lost her sons. But chapter four, what we see here brings life and joy. Boaz brought redemption to Ruth and Naomi and transformed their circumstances. And God gifted them the gift of life. Total opposite and reversal. And Jesus brings us redemption and transforms our circumstances. He saves us from our tragedy and our death, and instead he replaces it with life and joy in him. 
This is the story of our redemption. And guess what? God is not done giving life. He has not finished with his redemptive plan. He has not finished giving life to the lifeless, hope to the hopeless, rest to the weary, joy to the mourning. God's not done. God's desire is that all people would find redemption through Jesus, that all stories would be like that of Ruth and Naomi, and that all people would be brought from tragedy and death to joy and life. And this story of Ruth shows us that God calls people who are redeemed to be the agents through whom others find redemption. I'm going to say it again. God calls people who are redeemed to be agents through whom others find redemption. God is calling us to be like Boaz. The truth is God uses the redeemed to redeem. Yes, it is God that does the ultimate redemptive work in someone's heart, but it is undeniable through this story of Ruth that God uses the redeemed to redeem. This should excite you. But you might look at me this morning and say, that's great, Ash, but God's not doing any of that work around me. And I would say, I would point you back to this story. God brought redemption through the mundane, the everyday, ordinary life of Boaz and Ruth. A story where some people going about their everyday lives, they were working fields, getting food, checking harvest, going to grocery stores, getting coffee, maybe not coffee, going to grocery stores, (laughs) where this mundane was all of a sudden woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. It would have been easy for Ruth and Boaz to miss God working in their mundane lives. But it is undeniable that God was there. He was working. And God is doing the same thing in your life too. He is weaving your everyday lives into the grand story of his redemption plan. God is working his redemption plan. He is giving life to people around us and we are called to be instruments of God's life-giving redemption in his world. But we have a choice. We can either be unwilling, just like the unwilling man in this story, who puts himself in place of king, or we can be willing, a sacrifice surrendered to God, just like Boaz was. So I ask you this question this morning. God is working around you. Are you willing? God's love is redeeming. Jesus is our redeemer. And we should want to share this with other people. What a privilege to be agents through whom Jesus brings out his redemption. So how can we as people who are redeemed, ready ourselves well for this. In verse 11, it says that the elders and all the people at the gate were witnesses and they prayed. The elders and all the people at the gate were witnesses and they prayed. So our first step is to be a witness. 
I wonder if anyone here has ever had to be a witness for something. Maybe it was, maybe you witnessed just a car accident and you put your name down and gave them your phone number. Maybe it was something else and something bigger. I never have and I am lucky that I haven't because I feel like it's a lot of pressure. Because you're thinking like, oh, if, if I get my witness statement wrong, if I, if I miss something or if I get a detail wrong, I could really alter and change the course of someone's life, like particularly in the bigger circumstances. So it's really important as a witness, isn't it, to be accurate and to give as much detail as possible. So a bad witness would be someone who lied, who didn't give all the details, who um, forget, forgot what they saw and just made it up. Someone who didn't represent the situation in the way that it actually happened. A good witness is someone who shares with accuracy exactly how it happened with as much detail as possible. Now, there's a reason why video footage is a good witness, because video footage doesn't lie. To be a good witness of Christ is to share Jesus, to shine the light of Jesus with as much accuracy as possible in every single situation. That's what it means to be a good witness of Christ. And now this isn't a call to witness, it is a call to be a witness. And what do I mean by that? I mean our call is much more than just a witness statement, where you share Jesus maybe in one moment of your life and then you go and you live differently the next. That is a witness statement and that is not what we are called to. This call is a call to live the entirety of our lives as witnesses, to be witnesses every day, in every situation, in every conversation, every moment, so that people might see us and notice Jesus. God calls us to be his witnesses. Just like Boaz, if we have experienced the redemption that God brings in our lives, we are called to then share that redemption with those around us, to be witnesses of our redemption, to demonstrate our redemption through the life that we live. We are called to be witnesses, to be lights, to be cities on hills that cannot be hidden. Our human actions, the way that we behave, they matter. And they matter because they communicate something to this world about who Jesus is. They reflect the heart and the character of God. As well as individually, when we go out in our everyday lives to witness to those we come across, we are also called as a church, as the body of Christ, to be a witness. We as a church are called to be a church so unified in our character and our love for one another that when people walk in through these doors, they notice Jesus in us. The Bible says that unity and love amongst the body of Christ, this supernatural bond that we have is what is supposed to attract the world. There is real power in unity. And I want to encourage us here this morning because this is actually something that I think we do as a church well. So be encouraged in the unity and the love that we have together. But be on guard because Satan loves to disrupt unity. He knows the damage it causes. So guard our love and our unity well.
The other thing that we are to do, the people at the gate, they were witnesses and they prayed. The other thing we are to do is to pray. The book of Ruth is full of prayer. In every situation, we see the faithfulness of prayer abound. From misery to joy, from routine to extraordinary, from daily work to social interactions, as well as very private moments, through the book of Ruth, they are all lived out in the faith that God is there and God cares. This is what the prayer of Ruth reveals. Prayer brings an awareness of God's hand into our lives. It brings an awareness of his provision, his presence. And when we're feeling that God is not working, prayer helps to remind us that he is there and that he cares. Prayer also reveals our dependence on God. That, these, that all things are from him and through him and to him. God is working. God is redeeming, and God is using those of us who are willing to be a part of his redemptive work. So are you willing? You don't need to feel a a special calling to a career or to a situation or to a ministry or something like that to join in the work of God's redemptive plan. God needs you where he's got you. God needs you where he's got you. When you go about your everyday life, when you reply to emails this week, when you sit at your office desk, when you answer the phone, greet a customer, look after your children, whatever it is that you do during your week, God has got you there because he needs you there. Are you ready to be a witness to him in those situations? Are you ready for God to work through you? Do you walk and live through your everyday as, as though one representing Jesus through word, action, and thought. Imagine the impact and the conversations that we could have if we lived every single moment with this kind of intentionality. It can be easy to miss what God's doing around us. The book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very mundane, ordinary details of our lives. And it encourages us to be the willing agent of redemption rather than the unwilling. God is using the redeemed to redeem. I want to invite the worship team back up now. And while they come up, I think it's a really good time as we've come to the end of our series here in Ruth to put this kind of thing into practice, also to put our witness and our prayer into practice as a church. So I want to encourage you, if you want to respond to this call to be a willing agent through which God works, whether you've realised maybe that in the past or right now you've put yourself on the throne and you want to replace that with God and put him back in his rightful place. Maybe you've realised for you that you are still living in this tragedy and death and you want to receive redemption. Or maybe you hear your call to be willing and you just want to step into that further. You want to step deeper into that call. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. Um, And I want as a church, for those of us, if someone's standing around you, to gather around them and pray for them. And even if no one stands, it would be fantastic if we could just, as a church, united in our love for Jesus, join together and pray together. 
So I'm going to ask you to stand in a minute and then pray for a couple of minutes, then I'm going to pray to close, and then the team's going to um, play. Does that sound all right? Okay. If you would like to respond in some way this morning, can I invite you to stand? And if you see people standing around you, I just want to invite you to pray with those people. Jesus can bring redemption to people. If you see someone standing around you, why don't you go and pray with them now? And if you would just like to pray in the group you're in or with the people around you, that's good too. Heavenly Father, just as we continue to lift up our prayers to you this morning, God, I want to thank you for the redemption that you have brought through Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you use us in our mundane, everyday lives. I thank you, God, that you've got us where you need us. And Lord, would we have the strength and the courage to press into that, God, to be witnesses every day where you have us, that people might look at us and see you, that we might be willing and bold to have conversations with people around us who so desperately need to hear about your love. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your redemption. I pray that you would increase our willingness, increase our love and dependence on you. God, increase our witness and our prayer as well as a church united and devoted to you. And God, I pray these things in your name. Amen.